Welcome to Between the Shelves, the premier Save a Library podcast. I am your host, Alex, and this week I am joined by Tori. Hello. And Christina. Hello. Thank you both for being here. Uh, listeners, this is another best of 2023 episode, so we're going to be talking about some more of our favorite things in the year. And this time we're talking about the actual best things of the year. No question. These are the best. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so just disregard everything you heard in the mm-hmm. last episode. This is the best. The story has the definitive actual best. Absolutely. Uh, so I have a couple of books, a show, and some music to talk about. I'm sure both of you have a lot to talk about as well. So let's just jump right into it. Um, the first book that I want to talk about, my best of 2023, is a book called Number Go Up, Inside Crypto's Wild Rise and Staggering Fall by Zeke Fox or Fox, F-O-U-X, Foe. This book was recommended to me by uh, a couple of podcasts. Just naturally came up in a few of them, so I'm like, oh, I'll check it out. It's uh, by a Bloomberg tech reporter who investigates, basically does a deep dive, like embeds himself in a lot of these like crypto scams that were happening a few years ago. So the book is, you know, partially like the history of of crypto and like what it is and how it just exploded and how it just immediately vanished within the last six months, nine months or so. Um, So he kind of tracks the rise and fall of crypto. He talks about all the different uh, players that are involved, some of them low scale, some of them like actual like heads of countries that get involved. And it's just a a crazy wild ride. Like the title is pretty accurate. It's an absolute wild ride. Um, Some of the highlights are some of these crypto like, billionaires bought the El Salvador dictate like a dictator of the El Salvador and made Bitcoin the natural national currency. That's a joke. You have you must be joking. No, I'm not I'm not a joking. Uh is it still currently the I don't the currency? I don't know because well all of this came to kind of a screeching halt last year with uh, I forgot the name of the uh, the company but they were like the trader like the the main trader of of crypto and they it turned out they were a Ponzi scheme and they were not backing up any of their people's investments at all, and it just all collapsed. So it's a very interesting story. We love a good Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> another interesting story from from this book, there was like a Philippines uh, mobile game that used crypto as like its in-game currency, and a lot of the people in the Philippines were making more money like playing this game like on their phones than their actual jobs. So they quit their jobs, and then this... It turned out that this, like, I think they're called, like, love potions or something. You can look it up. It's a crazy story. Like, it obviously turned out to be a scam. It folded, and then, like, a huge chunk of the Philippines, like, GDP just crashed because nobody, like, so many people have quit their jobs to do this. It's a, it's a wild, there's so many crazy stories in this book. And uh, it's a, if you're even, like, the slightest bit interested or curious about, like, what crypto was and is, still is, or if you've heard of stories of people making it rich quick and trying to getting you like, I highly recommend reading this book first before you dip into this because... Don't get into crypto until you've read this book. Also, don't get into crypto. Yeah, there's a lot of like basic financial literacy stuff that's covered in this book that like should be taught to every single person. So for that alone, it's worth reading this book. And um, it also kind of like humanizes the people who became like victims of these scams so you know it's easy to laugh at like these crypto bro billionaires who you know are just complete idiots and just flaunting wealth and everything but there are like a lot of like real people who were 
hurt. Like they lost everything to this too. So, you know, it's, it's a very, very interesting book. I think it does a great job of summarizing basically this moment in time, really. And, you know, I don't know. It's just a great, it was a great book. I highly recommend it. Again, the title is called Number Go Up Inside Crypto's Wild Rise and Staggering Fall by Zeke Fox. It sounds really interesting because I feel like the whole crypto boom was easy to completely ignore for most people here. Like, because it was so just associated with crypto bros and you're like, well, it's not something I have to worry about. So to hear that it is like deeply affected people's lives in a way that we'll probably have aftershocks for years to come. That makes me really want to check that book out. Yeah, it's, and even if you are not care, like care at all about like economic policy or anything, like it's still just a fun, it's still like a fun book to read Mm -hmm. about like just the crazy characters that are involved in all of this stuff. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. So that's my first book. I have also have a book that I could talk about. Uh, Not as, cool as that one but uh or crazy as that one really but uh i read a book this year called the reunion by kayla olson um it is a romance book and people who talk to me about books know that i'm very particular about romance books um i claim to like them but i will usually read them and hate them and complain about them but this one i read it i gave it five stars at the time that i read it so you know this is really you know it's good but um it's the story of uh, these two teen stars who had been on a uh, hit TV show back in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Think of like a Dawson's Creek maybe kind of thing. Um, and they were the romantic leads in that show. And then after the show ended, they both sort of went their separate ways. Uh, the woman became like an indie actress and started doing a lot of like deep cut projects like that. And then the man went on to be like an action star, sort of Marvel type of actor um not a lot of very intellectual work but uh some sort of streaming network decides to do a reunion special for this show which had been a big cultural moment at the time that it came out so the whole cast is coming back together 20 years later as like people in their 30s and there's a spark between the male lead and the female lead uh that they decide to explore but they're also trying to navigate like the fan base reacting to the show coming back and uh, all the things that come with that. So I really enjoyed it as like a, somebody who had been a peak Tumblr fangirl back in the, in my day, uh, you know, with all the sh- relationship following of the actors and stuff. So it, it really brought me back to that, even though it was set, you know, their, their heyday had been a little bit earlier, but uh, sort of seeing like, oh, what happens when the actors really do get together outside of the show? and But also how that affects them like emotionally and their lives and, uh, you know, how social media can have an effect on that. So it's a little bit deeper than just fangirling over a couple. It, it shows you like, what are the logistics of how that would even work? If, if the two actors from your favorite show got together, how does that work? Does it work? And I think it was done really well. It's called The Reunion? The Reunion. Uh, I think named after like the fact that they're doing a reunion mm-hmm. special, and I'm never able to turn my brain off for romance books. Like I'm always like, well, this doesn't make sense logically. Like, why are they doing? You know, I'm I'm thinking about it too much. And for this one, I was able to turn my brain off. So it's cool. fun. So it's like if your RPFs came true. Yes. <laughs> OTP. <laughs> your one true fairy. RPF is real person fiction. Thank you. <laughs> and OTP is one. Our fair. listeners, thank you. <laughs> yeah, there's a there was like a big movement recently where like there was too much RPF about um, 
hockey players oh. and the relationship hockey players were in. And it was like a whole big controversy in the fan fiction community because it was like affecting the real people. Which you and like One Direction, Harriet Styles, yeah, One Direction had that problem. (laughs) Sherlock, the TV show Sherlock, had that problem. Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman had issues because of that. Yes. (laughs) Wow, what a slice of life! But in this, I learned so much in this book. It was good, and they end well. Spoiler, but of course they end up together. uh, So it's it's not a negative. It's not a spoiler because otherwise it wouldn't be allowed to be a romance. That's very true. Uh, do you have another book, or Christina? Do you do you have a, I have a best book. of the book? I have a book. Best of the book. Best of twenty twenty three. A best book of twenty twenty three. So mine is Starling House by Alex E. Harrow. Um, this is on a lot of lists, and it was like a Reese Witherspoon pick, maybe. It was on some book club pick, and it is about like a rotting house, and. Um, the family that lives in it is kind of like reclusive and this it takes place in Kentucky and there's like a the main character is this sort of poverty stricken woman and her younger brother who's still in high school so she's in her 20s and she's just working to make sure that he can get out of this crappy town um, and then the family who owns this crumbling house and never speaks to anyone hires her for an exorbitant amount of money to like clean it for them. And then the the family that owned it is like wrote the ancestor, like two to three generations back, wrote like a famous children's book um, that the main character loved. And she's there also trying to figure out like, how did this person write this book that I love so much live in this garbage house? And it's just very creepy and very, like, gothic horror, kind of. Um, Alex Harrow always writes these, like, unlikable, like, I want to say raw women. Like, they're just, like, in your face and, like, they're fantastic. If you've ever read another book by her, you'd understand what I mean. Like, another book that she wrote, Once in Future, which is about witches and, like, either the 1800s or the 1900s. I read it at the same time as I read another book about witches in the same time frame-ish, so I don't remember. But one of the main characters there is just, like, feral. Hmm. And it's amazing. Because you don't get to see too many, like, likable feral women in literature. And they're all also very queer. Didn't she also... She wrote that, like... um novella that was like a takedown of um fairy tales yes i enjoyed that yeah i don't remember what it was called but i enjoyed that, that i think the first one in that is a spindle splinter yes also a queer fairy tale retelling reframing yeah. we can yeah. save ourselves kind of a also has like believe at least one feral woman in mm-hmm. it feral so, women that's, feral that's women genre. is that a new genre that's her, her just her <laughs> she, yeah uh what's the author's name again harrow Al- alex e harrow alex with an i, I. Feral. <laughs> but that's uh, with an E. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, I have one more book to talk about. This book is called Wellness by Nathan Hill. Have you heard of this one? No, and the title does not give away very much. No, it doesn't. Um, so this was, I think, an Oprah book club pick or something. The, Nathan Hill wrote The Knicks a few years ago, if you remember that. It's kind of like historical fiction. Anyways, so... 
the reason I picked up this book was I read a review of it in the Atlantic that compared Nathan Hill to like a modern day Thomas Pynchon or David Foster Wallace. And both of those authors are my favorite authors of all time. So that was enough for me to get to check out this book. It's also like a doorstop. It's over 700 pages, which is very David Foster Wallace and Pynchon. Aside from that, and maybe like kind of some of the themes about like dealing with like anxiety and the paranoia involved in like modern day life, I didn't really see too many parallels between Hill and Pynchon or Wallace. Uh, That said, the book is still very, very good. I I really enjoyed it. I I don't regret picking it up at all. Um, It's about... It's about a couple, uh, basically the the dissolution of a marriage. Basically, it's not like um, the most upbeat um, kind of plot, but uh, it's very well done. It's It starts with their kind of like meet cute, their story, and then it jumps ahead 14 years. They've been married for a number of years now. They have a small, uh, small, they have a young son, um, and neither of them are particularly happy and they kind of go about trying to figure out why in different ways so um hill is very good at writing satire of modern life and he kind of does that in a smart way by having both of these characters kind of go on their own separate sort of journeys for figuring out why they're so unhappy and along the way they encounter a lot of ridiculous other characters who claim to all have a solution to their problems and all of those characters are just perfect satires of like characters that you would see in, in modern life. Like there's like the wellness guru and then there's like the financial wellness person and, and the person who thinks that like, you know, this, this uh, supplement is going to solve your problem or, or whatever. So and he, he kind of takes down all these people one by one with, in his writing and in a really clever and funny way. I guess like the theme of the book is sort of like the stories we tell ourselves to try to deal with like the anxieties and everything that modern life presents you. And the central kind of metaphor they use is placebos as like a replacement for a story. So the, the wife whose name is Elizabeth, I believe she works at this company called wellness that sort of tests placebos to see like if they work or anything. Um, or tests like all these wellness kind of programs and checks them out against placebos to see like what works. And she ends up kind of determining that like placebos really do work. And it's that, you know, it's just a lie that you tell yourself. If you believe that the thing is true, it doesn't matter if it's actually true or not, that that's what all you need to get through a lot of things. So that's sort of like the the metaphor that they keep coming back to, like these stories you tell yourself to get through. And um, like I was saying, like Hill breaks that up into a bunch of different kind of like vignettes throughout the book. And it's, it's really well done. And I know I said it's about a, a marriage kind of breaking up, but it's it does it kind of leaves it vague how it ends. And um, the characters kind of realize that the story they were telling themselves to get through their like depression or anxiety or whatever word you want to use to fill in their unhappiness was the story of their like kind of meet cute in their marriage so i don't know it's it was a really interesting book it had a lot to like chew on um so yeah i i found myself thinking about it a lot after i finished it um i don't think it's quite as good as any pinch or wallace novel but it's still a, a great read and i i recommend it 
So again, it's called Wellness by Nathan Hill. It sounds very reminiscent of that kind of um, satirical David Foster Wallace style that was really popular in like the 90s and early 2000s that I used to read when I was younger and not like get it. Yeah. I would just read to read it and be like, I don't understand what's going on. But to have a, a version of it that's more timely for us now, like you said, referencing a lot of... yeah. It's way more timely. The writing is much more accessible than Wallace, too. Like, he, Nathan Hill is not trying to, like, wow you with his elegant prose and, like, the depth of his knowledge. He's not... It's a very... Like, I finished this book in, like, two weeks. Like, it's... Even though it is a doorstop. Like, it's a very quick, breeze, breezy read. A fun doorstop. Yeah. <laughs> a fun doorstop. <laughs> I think it sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, so, wellness, Nathan Hill. Check it out. That's all I got for books. Do you have another one to talk about, or should we move on to something else? I don't have a book, but I do have a movie. Okay. What's your movie? So, uh, my... I'm curious to hear what... I'm actually really curious to hear what your favorite movie is of the year, because, in my opinion, the best movies of the year have not come out yet. Well, sneak peek of what I'm about to say, this movie that I'm about to mention hasn't come out yet. So, and I just saw it. So, this week I got to go see a unreleased movie um, through this program that's called AMC Screen Unseen. I'm so jealous. I already know what you're going to say. You, you heard about it? Uh, so, this is through the AMC theaters. They will email, I think, the people who are members of their like um, premiere stub, stubs program. Um, and for $5, you can go see a movie that hasn't come out yet, but you don't know what it is. You just know what it's rated. Um, so I went with my mom this week, we went on Monday and, uh, I had guesses to what it was and it was totally incorrect. And I had not heard of this movie, uh, until the credits started. And I said, okay, let's see what it's all about. Um, it's called American Fiction. Oh, this is not what I thought you were going to say. What did, what did you think it was going to be? I thought you were going to say The Boy and the Heron. The oh Mirazaki no, movie. I wish. Oh my gosh. I thought it was going to be that new Emma Stone movie, um, Poor Things. Yeah, I want to see that too. I didn't want to see that, so I was very happy when it (laughs) wasn't. But what I did see was uh, American Fiction, directed by Cord Jefferson, and it's based on a book. Um, The book is from like around 20 years ago, uh, called Erasure by Percival Everett. Um, But I let me read the. the IMDb summary of this, because I feel like this will, will sum it up well. Uh, a novelist who's fed up with the establishment profiting from black, quote, unquote, entertainment, uses a pen name to write a book that propels him to the heart of hypocrisy and the madness he claims to disdain. So it's starring um, Jeffrey Wright, uh, but there's like a sort of an ensemble cast of like real heavy hitters. A lot of great people are in it, Issa Rae and Sterling K. Brown. But um, it stars Jeffrey Wright as this uh, college professor and author who writes really like cerebral fiction uh, and can't get his publisher to publish more of his work. And at the same time, a new author played by Issa Rae writes a very stereotypical like urban fiction type of book uh, that is blowing up on all of the charts. And he is very critical of it. Um, and he begins to have a lot of interpersonal problems in his life, like um, his mother is struggling with Alzheimer's, and his sister, who's taking care of the mom, passes away suddenly, uh, and the sister's played by Tracy Ellis Ross, like, really good cast. Um, so he suddenly has to deal with all of these family problems without a good source of income and decides to write one of these uh, pandering books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's, his, it's called My Pathology, with an F. Uh under a pseudonym of this guy who was in jail and you know has lived the hard life and then the book is so popular and he is trying to reconcile like the public's reaction to this book that was totally fake coming from him 
but that they think is so real and raw and the black experience uh and how does he navigate this is what people want and this is i can provide it to them but this is not authentic and this and am i contributing to perceptions of my community by writing things like this is it okay because i need the money and this is providing for me and supporting a black artist um it's yeah it was just a really interesting exploration of that because it i think the story is sort of a timeless one people are have been struggling with that question of you know what is what is black culture if i'm not doing like this street thing am i not being authentic so it was very yeah. interesting. I do want to see this movie. This is also on my letterbox to watch list. I've been looking forward to uh, to seeing it because I love Jeffrey Wright. I didn't even know this is a Percival Everett book. I read a Percival Everett book this year. Oh, really? Called Dr. No. And it is one of the weirdest books I've ever read. I really, really liked it. Um, but it's like you were kind of saying about Pynchon, like, I mean, about Wallace, like, I didn't really get what it was trying to tell me. Mm-hmm. I think it was just like way above my head. Like, I did not know what it was telling me. The the plot of the book, Dr. No, is it's kind of like a take on a James Bond, like Dr. No story, except the the protagonist is like the least James Bondy character, mm. like imaginable. Like he's a math professor who like is like barely eloquent in anything he's saying and like cannot relate or understand other human beings. So he has like no charisma or anything like James Bond does. And yeah, it was a really weird story, but I, I definitely recommend it. It wasn't too long either. It seems like I haven't, I haven't read anything by Percival Everett. I went and checked out uh, Erasure on Libby after I watched the movie because I was curious how it compares, especially because it was so long since the book came out. But it sounds like he's got a very specific style and point of view, which is very interesting yeah. to me. Also, something that stuck out to me about this movie was the score which was it's by uh laura cartman and it reminded me of like a a vince guaraldi kind of Mm. like the entire score is just jazz music and it's very gentle and soft but like it will just come in at the perfect moment to to underscore what's happening like a character's really thinking about something and the music comes in uh yeah it just was a really it was a relaxing movie it was very funny and nobody who was in the theater knew that this is what it was going to be. So I think it was a collection of people who might not have gone to see it otherwise. But people were laughing out loud. I thought it was really funny. Um, so yeah, it, an unexpected favorite or nice. a gift at the end of the year. Just under the line. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I can't wait to see it. Um, I don't have a movie to talk about, but I have a show. Christina, do you have any... I don't really watch Video. movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not really a movie. I don't have the attention span for movies. All right, fair enough. Okay, so the show that is on my best of 2023 list is season two of Our Flag Means Death. Mm-hmm. Do I have you? Either of you seen it yet? You, yes. You saw it, right? Mm-hmm. I really liked it. I didn't know how they were going to follow up season one, and I think they did a great job. The problem I, I thought they were going to have with the show is that it was going to get too bloated with characters and none of the characters are going to have a moment to shine, but I found the exact opposite. They, Every character from season one has almost their entire episode where they are the main character. Like Everyone gets a moment to shine, and they add like six new regulars to the show, and all of yeah. them have a time to shine. And all of the, I feel like all the character development from season one builds in season two, I don't know. I think they did a, a really great job. Um, I might be getting ahead of myself. If you're not you familiar with the show, 
Um, yeah, uh, it's Taika Wahidi and Rise Darby. Is that his name? What's his I name? think it's Reese Darby. Reese Darby. They are the the main characters. Uh, Taika Wahidi plays Blackbeard the pirate, and Rise Darby, Reese Darby, sorry, plays uh, a gentleman pirate. He's basically Steve Bonnet. Steve Bonnet, the gentleman pirate. He's basically like this lord, English lord, who decides he just wants to be a pirate one day and leaves his family and ends up falling in love with Blackbeard. I don't it's just the wildest concept for a show and it's just so irreverent and funny and all the characters like I, I I'm not gonna say they're like well written, but you just I just find them all charming. Like every character is so charming and I just like root for all of them. Like the on both sides even. Like it's I don't know, it just seems like such it's what I think other people enjoyed a lot about Ted Lasso. I f- like about this show. Like, it's just like a, for me, it's just a very warm, fun show that I know isn't going to like, it has a lot of dark moments. It's darker than Ted Lasso. <laughs> but I think by the, at the end of the day, it's still like, makes you feel good. I do. I don't know. What, do you, what are your thoughts on it? The first two episodes are hard to watch of the second season. It's... Blackbeard, and I don't want to. I don't know how much I can say what spoil. So they break up, and Blackbeard is real mad about it and doesn't know how to deal with it. So he's taking it out on everyone around him. Yeah. In like crazy different ways. Someone loses a foot. Like it's like loses yeah. a foot. A foot is removed. A foot is forcibly removed from a man. <laughs> and so I just thought that the, the first couple of episodes of this season were like very harsh. Yeah. And hard to watch. I, I Yes, I would agree with that. But it doesn't last too long. No. It, and it gets, it gets sweeter as the season goes along. So yeah, so the, the basically like the season one is about them falling in love and season two is about... You know, there's an event that happens where they are separated and then coming back together, basically. So, yeah, there's some dark moments, I guess, in, in the beginning of the season, but um, I don't want to spoil too much, but it, it, it gets better. <laughs> it sounds very like any book series, like a romanticy book series, like where book one, they got together and all the tension is re- removed. And then the author's like, OK, now I have to do four more books. How do I make this relationship yes. stay interesting? And it's you have to create uh, an issue. <laughs> Yeah, and it's sort of like, so the first season, nobody really knew what was happening. They were building up to the relationship between Steed and Ed Blackbeard. Blackbeard. And it's a long history of queer baiting in TV shows. And for the queer community to watch it, to be like, are they going to do this? They're not going to do this. They're, They're messing with us. And then they did it. And then for the second season to come up that way was just sort of like, oh, they are going to hurt us. This actually isn't for us anymore, I guess. So it was just like a different tone than it had started out as. So I, that's why I, it's not on my best of this year. Yeah, I, it's, it's different tonally from season one in a lot of ways. But I think it's, it's developed. It's like it's maturing, I yes. think into its own kind of thing now and even though like the main characters kind of have like a rough go of it there are many of the side characters who are also having like their love stories as well so it's i don't know i 
I just, I don't know. I love this show. I can't wait to see where they go with it. I love a show that gives you the most romance bang for your buck. So I, eventually I will watch this. It sounds really good. And like, if you're a fan of like what we do in the shadows or like that sort of humor, like it's totally has that too. Like it's constantly poking fun of like all the tropes that are involved in like pirate, you know, shows and movies and things like that too. So it still has like, a, it's still like a comedy in the end of the day. Leslie Jones plays an amazing like tavern owner with like 20 husbands. Yeah. That was, I like that at the, uh, the whole plot line with her like usurping the, the like, what's it, he's like a Dutch or Swedish like, yes. cabin boy basically. Just, the Swede. Yeah, the Swede. Um, yeah, all the, there's just so many eccentric characters and there's a lot to like about this show. So uh, yeah, that's that was one of my shows of the year. I've got another late entry show of the year Uh-oh. that I just watched very recently. One could almost say I was trying to figure out things for the best of for the podcast, but it, it actually just happened to, to work out this way. If I watch everything that's ever aired this year. <laughs> then surely I'll find something to talk about. But uh, this one, I, strong wording to say it's a, a best of, but I really enjoyed it, and it was this year. Um, and it's the TV show The Continental uh, from the world of John Wick. So another thing that people who speak to me might know is that I love John Wick. I love those movies, even though they really are sort of jumping the shark at this point um, with John Wick 4. But uh, this show is set in the world of John Wick, and it's a prequel that takes place in the... Should I explain what John Wick is? Do I have... I have never seen a second really? of John Wick. Really? I've also never seen a second of John Wick. Oh, wow. I just assumed that it was a big cultural moment for everybody. Okay. Guns. I get it. Keanu, Keanu Reeves already hit his peak with me, mm-hmm. so I don't need to see anything else he's ever been in. That's a shame because this is, I think this is can be included with his peak of all the good things that he did. Although I feel like your peak of Keanu is it's not... Bill and Ted. Yeah. It's Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. <laughs> so John Wick is, um, there's this man and he's a retired assassin and he's living the good life with his wife and his dog. Uh, and then his wife passes away. Well, I guess he doesn't have the dog yet. And she gives him a dog uh, as a gift uh, right before she passes away. And so he loves this dog and he's taking care of it and it's everything to him because his wife gave it to him. Um, And then his car gets stolen and his dog gets uh, killed. Some people will not watch it because of that. I totally get it. Um, And then he decides that he has to get his revenge on the people. Is it on screen? No, no. No, <laughs> but uh, he has to get his revenge. Have you to watch it. No, some movies do that, so I was <laughs> concerned. But if it, it was on screen, I may not. Because like in the Amityville Horror with Ryan Reynolds, they like pretty much kill a dog on screen, well, and like people aren't prepared for it. Well, thank you for the. That's the why morning. you have to go on doesthedogdie.com. Does the dog yeah. uh, John Wick is probably the number one. It's just always on the homepage of that of that website. But um, so he has to get his revenge uh, for this happening by. Uh, reactivating his status as an assassin uh, and get going back into that world, which does, yes, involve many guns mm-hmm. uh, and also kicks and punches and sometimes a pencil or just different implements to fight. Um, but the whole thing is really a showcase for Keanu to show that he's really good at doing um, fight choreography and also doing roles that don't require him to talk, but just to fight. Uh, so it's an excuse to watch a lot of really good fight choreography. So, and then the, the world expands from that in the next three movies, and everyone's an assassin, and he's excommunicated from the assassins and has to 
do stuff to undo that. It gets oh, crazy. So there, there is like a legitimate like organization of assassins that when you said reactivate his yeah. status, I was like, all right, so he kills someone? Okay, like... No, like there's a whole <laughs> world and um, he just gets back into the... He has to get his badge reactivated so he can get into the building. Sort of. It's coins. <laughs> in, the, in the building is a hotel called the Continental. So I will this, never watch this. Wow. I, I think in the whole thing open. <laughs> I think if you watched it, you would actually enjoy it, but um, it's hard to explain it in a way that, because, uh, you know, if you explain it, you have to talk about just what it is on the surface, and there's a lot that you can't just say in words that is what it is, but it's just a lot of fun. But the Continental Show is, um, there's a character in the show played by Ian McShane who runs a hotel called the Continental where all of the assassins stay, and uh, you can't fight in the hotel you can't kill anyone in the hotel it's it's the law and only assassins can stay there so this show tells the story of back in the 1970s in new york how he came to be in charge of this hotel um which also involves a lot of guns and Mm. fighting uh because the previous owner of the hotel played by mel gibson question mark um is like this you're not selling this he's like a, (laughs) a crime overlord uh and the hotel is forcibly taken from him by uh, the young version of Ian McShane's character. But it did it did a really good job of, like, this could be a standalone show. You don't necessarily have to be familiar with John Wick to watch it. It's three episodes. And it's set in, like, grimy 1970s New York. And the cinematography establishing this, I thought, was really good. But the choreographer of the um, fighting, I think, was the same one from the John Wick movie. So you can feel the connection to the universe in that way, even though visually it's not it's not giving John Wick. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was a really interesting uh, way to explore the universe of this story because people weren't sure, like, does John Wick work without Keanu Reeves? And I think it really did. And I enjoyed looking for the Easter eggs of, like, they put in things that were explanations of things that happen later in the movie series uh, without having any of the same actors or characters. Or um, There's a character in the John Wick movies who is... Um, I can't believe I can't remember his name right now. Who uh, is the guy from The Matrix with the pills? Mor- Morpheus? Yes, who plays Morpheus? M- Morpheus. <laughs> that's, just, that's just who he is. That's, he's just Morpheus. Who is this, though? Morpheus. Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. I, but I had a, I thought I had a quicker way to do it. So um, there's a play, a character in the John Wick movies played by Lawrence Fishburne who is like like the king of homeless people. Like he has his own network of people and he is obsessed with pigeons and he provides he's like the 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 James Bond character that provides all the gadgets. He's that for John Wick. And he's not in this prequel series because he would have been like a child at at the time in the 70s but you can see him in the background and uh extrapolate his connection to another character that is in the tv series so if you know to look for it you can see stuff like that and i just thought it was very cool what is it on again uh peacock peacock yes maybe that's why this uh just hearing about it now christina what are you into what am i into or what am i gonna Uh, talk about recording (laughs) so i was gonna talk about Taylor Swift's 1989 Taylor's version, but then Spotify Wrapped came out and made a clown of me. So um, I'm going to talk about Fall Out Boy so much for Stardust. 
Was that actually your number one album? No, Fall Out Boys from Under the Cork Tree was my number one album. I got, so, you know, Spotify Wrapped comes out and it just uh, makes all of your data look pretty and, you know, just to sort of be like, hey, bud, are you okay? It reveals a lot about your year to you. Yeah. So my friends clowned on me a lot when I also shared this with them. So there's one Fall Out Boy song that I listened to like 200 times this year, which everyone was like, look at this song I listened to so much this year. And it was like 32 <laughs> times, 16 times. And I'm over here with like my one song from 2005 that I listened to 200 times. But anyway. Hey, that's fine. There's 365 <laughs> days in a year. Yeah. So much for Stardust is Fall Out Boy's newest album. It came out in March of this year. Um, the last album they released was Garbage, to, to put it mildly. <laughs> um, is it Garbage Core? Is that a good thing? No. Oh, okay. it just is, true garbage, It's true. It's true garbage. It was very, like, synth heavy. Like, it was just like, you know, they're a pop punk band and, and a lot of the music was not in that genre. And like, you know, bands are supposed to evolve, so it's fine. Like, but it wasn't fine. It wasn't good. Nobody liked it. Um, so, and that came out in 2018. So that was the last album they put out. So everyone was kind of like, oh, they could put out some more garbage. But they didn't. Um, so... Went back to their roots? I Yes. So I would say, like, this is more, like, pre-hiatus Fallout Boy. So, like, so, still new era Fallout Boy, but not. Uh, yeah, I think it. I think it's more true to the evolution they were going through before they went on hiatus in like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So it's closer to the pop punk stuff than the stuff they've been doing in, in the in the twenty tens, um, and it's a lot of like grown up style emo music. So there are lyrics like, "My back hurts." No. I wouldn't go. I just want to be invited. And um, are you still laughing at me? Or do I, you know, need to see my therapist? They're doing relatable core. Just, yeah, just like super relatable. But like if you're an emo kid from the 2000s, just very much the kind of music that we were listening to when we were mad at our moms. But now we're mad at like adult things. Mad at the world. Yeah. It's Like, they do experiment a lot with their sound, but they do it in a way that's, like, good. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a song that's very much inspired by September by Earth, Wind, and Fire, but, like, rockier, and it's pretty good. So, okay, it's definitely my favorite album of this year. I'm glad they got back on track for you. We'll see. <laughs> if they continue that way. So, this album that I want to talk about is... My favorite album of the year. I know this is a best of episode, but I'm doing three best of episodes and I have a lot. I have to t- fill up a lot of airtime. But this album is legitimately my favorite album of the year. I said at the beginning of the episode, this is the best of the best of. Yeah, this, some people have opinions that are correct. Disregard everything else you've heard up until this point. This is the best album of the year. It's by a band called Geese. Mm. And the album. <laughs> I know. It's already it's really not. Strong. The album is 3D Country. 
Uh, this band is like a rock band. I think they're out of like Brooklyn. It's their first album. I'd never heard of them until this year. And this album is amazing. It's amazing. It's like, I guess you could call it like art punk. It's punk, but it's like experimenting with the sound. It's not just doing like playing as fast as you can and screaming. Um, it is such a fun album. The lead singer who, let's, I hope I have his name, Cameron Winter, is the most entertaining singer I think I've ever heard on a rock album, at least in the last like 10 years. He, he has a great voice, like a fantastic voice. He can do like falsettos, everything, but he just does these like crazy country kind of style voices in some songs. Like he just like will change, he'll just do voices while he's singing and still hit like notes. But it's just so much fun to listen to. I'm like addicted. Like I will probably hit that 200 mark. <laughs> With a couple of the songs on this album. December doesn't count in Spotify. So it's oh, okay. December is, you can do whatever you want. Well, when I get my next year's stats. You'll still be listening. My two favorite tracks are um, 2122, which is the first track on the album, which is, I think it's like a five, six minute song, and it just goes off. Like, they cover, like, every genre of music. They just sweep and go through in this song. It's crazy, crazy awesome. And but my my current favorite track is I see myself, which is a more like gospely rock. It's kind of hard to describe. But he has background singers too, so it's like a very full sound. And this one's not like punky. It's a more like steady, smoother song. But this is like an earworm for me. Like I'm playing it every single day on my drive to work. It's so good. Sounds like maybe no, but like uh, another yeah, artist or genre? It's, it's been really, I've been trying to come up with like who this sounds like. And what I can come up with is it's a like two by two bands, Parquet Courts. Are you familiar with them? They're another recent band. I think they came out maybe five, six years ago. Another kind of like art, arty punk kind of band from, I don't even know where. Kind of like them mixed with like Kings of Leon a little bit, like early Kings of Leon before they just became like a pop band basically. Um, it's like that, but it also has like LCD sound system, like New York kind of like heavy hitting vibes too. It's really hard to peg this band, which is why I love them. Like I've never, I can't really think of anything I've heard that's like them. They also kind of have like dirty projectors and Radiohead kind of vibes too on certain songs. Like they're really like all over the place musically. Um, but I highly recommend it. Like just listen to a couple of their songs uh, my favorite ones, again, are 2122, I See Myself, and I think their hit from this album is called 4D Country. I think that's, like, the one they had, like, the big music video, like, production for. Maybe that's, like, their single they're pushing. Um, and there's two other tracks, Undoer and Crusades, that I also am playing, like, all the time. Like, the half of this album is, like, could be their single. Like, it's so good. So, again, the, the uh, band is called Geese, which is... Like the bird. Like, yeah, like the bird, plural. Um, and the album is 3D Country. I can't say enough good things about this. This album is phenomenal. Um, do you have one other thing you want to talk about? Because I have an honorable mention album as well. 
I, I do. Okay. Why don't you go? I've talked enough. Okay. Or, Christina, I want to hear about your game. I know that you're... Oh, so my my best game of 2023 is uh, Theater Rhythm Final Bar Line, which is a Final Fantasy-themed rhythm game. So you just get to... I don't even know how to describe a rhythm. Is it like hit... Dance Dance Re- Revolution? No, I mean, a... yes. It's like Guitar Hero. Yeah, you're just like you're hitting buttons in rhythm with songs from the Final Fantasy games, and there's there's sort of like quests in them. You have like a uh, objective on every single song that you do, um, and there are like different degrees of difficulty. But it's one of those games where like I can just sit down and turn my brain off and play for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, That's how I was with Guitar Hero. Yeah, and it's just like... And then I woke up and realized I was ranked 300th in the world on wow. a song. Well, there's, there's, there are... Well, if there That's are, a humble brag. It's a really ranks, interesting No, it's, it's not a brag. If there are ranks in this game, I'm not on them. I play, I play at very low levels, but like... I only play the same songs over and over and over again. So like One Winged Angel, of course, Sephiroth's theme. Yeah. There's like eight different versions of it. And so they're still like putting out DLC for it. So like they've done... Um, Downloadable content Thank you. for the non-gamers like me. They added songs from Chrono Trigger and then a new Final Fantasy came out this year. So they added songs from the new Final Fantasy. Um, so it's a lot of like replayability. I'm curious, is it like a straight up rhythm game or is it like that kingdom hearts rhythm game where you also get like additional story information it is not it is not like the kingdom hearts there's no additional information and i think it's more true to the rhythm game genre than the kingdom hearts one you're not like you're not killing heartless to the beat of songs you're just like you're just you're just pushing those buttons repetitively to the beat so how does it like how does it mark progression or does it you just is it like so you have to complete a certain number of songs to get a key uh-huh. and the key unlocks another title okay. so I think you start with one key um, but you can have more keys I think than like the better you perform the song I don't know but I have more keys than I know what to do with <laughs> and, and I don't understand it. Because um, I don't watch tutorials, so I just I just jump right in. And because it has like varying degrees of difficulty, it's very accessible, and it has colorblind adjustments, which I do have to use because the colors are too close. Even though they don't really mean anything in the game, because it's like it's like four vertical mm-hmm. buttons that you have to push. This all makes sense to, to anyone who's played a rhythm game, and it is, yeah. but it sounds... It if pre- you remove the yes. context, it sounds wild. You have to match wild. the button presses to the beats of the song. Yes. Basically. Yes. To the yeah, but, it, of but, the song. but there's like a guide to show you how to yes. do that, because depending on what level you're playing depends on like what part of the song you're matching yeah. You're basically to. getting like sheet music like thrown at you, like like... And you have to hit the notes, match like, the notes uh, what, to the buttons. Like the trombone champion one that went viral recently yes. is a rhythm game. I think I've lost a lot I'm of people with that rhythm reference. Games. <laughs> rhythm games are the only kind of game that I'm good at, and I'm behind on... on For a very long new. time, I was convinced. I had a significant other who told me that I had no rhythm and was tone deaf. 
And so when we would play like Guitar Hero, I was only allowed to sing because you don't have to be good at that. You just have to be able to like... Match the pitch. Match the pitch, which isn't like, I guess, too difficult because I did did it on easy. And so now that I like the Kingdom Hearts rhythm game got me into rhythm games because that was like important to the story of Kingdom Hearts. Like you You have to... I had to play it for the content. It was like three minutes, but it was more Kingdom Hearts content. And now... I love them so much. Like I play theater with them like every day for at least half an hour to like yeah. turn my brain off for a little bit. I really miss rhythm games. Like I was like, as I just said, like so into Guitar Hero and Rock Band when they were out. Like I was just the perfect age for it. I was obsessed with it. And it's just like, it puts your, you're in the some sort of mental state where you're completely relaxed, but you're mentally engaged. I don't know. It's like, there's nothing else really like it. I really miss that. That feeling. There's, There's a lot of good modern um, rhythm games. Yeah, like uh, Death of the Necro Dancer. Sure. Or Dance yeah. of the Necro. Also Beat Saber if you have a VR headset. And I was for many years very into the, the Superstar series of them, which is uh, K-pop rhythm games, but I would play every day without fail. But there's been big strides in rhythm games. What, what console is this for? It is available... I. On, I play it on Switch, so it's portable. Uh, but I know it's also available on PlayStation. Awesome. Good recommendation. I'll have to check that one out. Um, do you have one more? I do have one more okay. thing. Um, I wanted to talk about a, a theater thing, since I'm the, one of the resident theater heads. Oh, wow. um, but the one that I was going to talk about did not come out this year, and I didn't realize it. I just saw it this year, which is my problem with a lot of things. But one that did come out this year that I saw this year, um, which may be a bad recommendation because it is closed now. Uh, it's It was a musical on Broadway called Here Lies Love, um, which sounds crazy if you try to explain it, but it was a disco musical by David Byrne of The Talking Heads and Fatboy Slim um, about... Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos, the dictator slash president and first lady of the Philippines back in the 70s. Uh, Sounds like a word salad. (laughs) It does. (laughs) And I thought I would never see it because it sounded so crazy. And I'm not into the talking heads. Um, But our boss, Stephanie, and I went to the Broadway flea market this year. And I won free tickets to it in the ticket roulette. roulette. Um, So we went because we had the tickets. And... It was an incredible experience because they they redid the interior of the theater to be a nightclub. They took out all of the orchestra seats. So when you go in, it's like you're in the nightclub and then the show happens around you. And it's going through basically um, the childhood and young adulthood and then ascension to power of Imelda Marcos and how she married Ferdinand Marcos and they sort of... Um, destroyed the philippines for a very long time and the aftershocks of it but you're seeing it happen around you they took a lot of artistic license um and the disco music seems like it would be have nothing to do with anything to do with that show um but they it's sort of a commentary on like how the marcos has used spectacle and wealth to distract people and get people behind them and then do really negative things um so that people didn't realize like we're having fun and we're partying and it seems like good things are happening, but actually you're like cheering at a murderer or like really negative. And 
So it was just such an interesting physical experience that you don't really get when you go to the theater. Usually you're just in your seat. But this, you're moving around, you're dancing. Sometimes the actors are interacting with you physically, like coming up to you and you're on TV oh. with Ferdinand Marcos. And... Which is weird, Sounds but it was also so anxiety inducing. <laughs> it can be. They also had a seated area for people who it was too intense for. Um, I mostly stood back and watched, but it was still, you know, I was in the moment mm-hmm. of it. Um, and the music was so catchy and good, it made me want to check out the Talking Heads and David Byrne a little bit more. I think he might have been at the performance we were at. I wow. saw a guy who looked like, and I've heard that he used to go to the the performances. And it was an all Filipino cast, which had never happened on Broadway before. Um, and a lot of really talented performers. It was very cool. Just something different that I hadn't experienced before. A lot of different elements that I hadn't experienced. So, And I learned a little bit more about um, the Philippines. I had very bare bones knowledge it's not really something that i feel like we talked about in school here much um but it's very timely because their son is the current president of the philippines he was somehow elected into office again um so there was sort of a commentary on that as well that sounds like an awesome show uh i am a huge talking heads fan so if you want a, a compilation, let me know. I would I would love some recommendations. I only know like the hits, but also have did you listen to the the Here Lies Love concept album? No, because it was a, an original concept album that he did years ago, and he had all different artists sing each of the songs. Uh, sort of some weird choices, if I remember correctly. And then they did it off Broadway, um, and so there's a recording of the off Broadway of it, but not of this this recent production, which is sad because some of the cast changed, but. I really recommend if you haven't. Yeah. And I'm curious to know how it lines up with, like, is it very Talking heads Like, I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, if you... A good introduction to the Talking Heads is... is um, well, Stop Making Sense, obviously, the famous concert movie from the uh, 70s, whatever. Which I just screened it, it, and I missed it. Yeah. But also his uh, American Utopia, which is on oh, HBO yes. Max. That was his other Broadway show. That's also really cool. And it's a visual spectacle, too. More so than talk than stopping sense, so that There's might be a filmed a good, version of it on, on HBO. On HBO Max, oh, yeah, awesome. yeah, and it has a really crazy choreography too. So you might you might like that as a theater person. As a theater person. All right, I think that's all the time we have. So Christina and Tori, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your best of 2023 lists. And uh, listeners, there's one more to go, so you get a couple more recommendations for me. And I think we're gonna have. Jen, our director, and uh, some other guests on. So stay tuned for that. All star cast with wrong opinions. Can, can we say that <laughs> now that we know who's on that episode? I don't know. As long as she doesn't listen to this one. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if I cut that out or not. All right, bye. Bye.